0: I'm Devita Parks. Welcome to Beyond the Mic, a podcast for entrepreneurs and small business owners sharing their unique stories of how they built their business and define success on their terms. Each week, we take a conversational glimpse into what it really looks like when you break the mold and tap into your purpose. Today, a thought-provoking conversation around race, social biases, and allyship with the founder and creator of the Courage Campaign. I first met Ashley when I clipped in for one of her cycle classes in Boston. Since that first encounter, she has gone on to become a voice for those seeking equality and equity in the fitness industry. Join us as she shares how we can all be a little more courageous. So Ashley, welcome to the show. I'm excited to have you with us today. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited to like see your face via
1: Zoom, but to see your face and to get a chance to talk to you. This is amazing.
0: Oh, it has certainly been way too long. We have a lot of catching up to do and a lot to dig into today. Now, one of the key things I want us to spend some time talking about is your journey from fitness instructor to now a very vocal advocate for diversity and inclusion within the fitness and wellness industry. So tell us a little bit more about that.
1: Yeah, um so I I was originally I moved here originally to go to grad school. I was training to, you know, become an actor. I was getting my masters and when I met you, that was maybe a year and a half, possibly two years after I had left the program and decided to go full time with fitness, um just because I'd been an athlete my whole life and and it felt like um, it felt like I could make more of a difference in fitness than I could in theater. Mm. and I had no idea how that would happen. It was just an instinct of like. I think I can use my voice a little bit better and it it turns out that was, that was the correct decision to make. Um, but yeah, I just sort of, um, I guess found my home within fitness and in the beginning, you know, you're trying to build clientele. People are getting to know you. It's um, you're sort of learning what the hierarchy is within mm-hmm. um you know, within your area, which happens to be, like, right, Boston, and, like, the suburbs, and, um, and so I didn't realize then the power that I had in being one of the only Black females teaching, mm-hmm. because I just wanted to be, because I just wanted to fit in, and I wanted right. to be popular, and I wanted to make money, and, like, I just, people are so afraid of talking about race or acknowledging race. Like we see. Right. Um, and so I just didn't want to make it a big deal. But then I realized that like, that is the thing that sets you apart amongst this sea of like blondes and brunettes and like, you know, skinny white girls and Lululemon, like you are not that. And that is going to attract a crowd of people to you that, that will become your people that will not be afraid to become allies to advocate with you to stand with you to stand behind you whatever the case may be and then so as i got to sort of recognize like who i was and where i came from that's when i started feeling more empowered to speak up and to speak out and be like it is not okay that i am the only person of color in the spaces that i that i work in and that i
0: work out in and so here we are. So when did you decide to speak up about the things that you were seeing and hearing on a daily basis?
1: Yeah, I, you know, we said we weren't going to talk about cycle, but this is, that's like where it happened because I realized that um, some of the things that were happening to me via management were microaggressions. And like, I didn't know what microaggressions were. Right, and I didn't know how, you know, like racially motivated they were at the time. Um, but I was feeling very uncomfortable about the fact that the rules seemed to be different for the white girls than with me, down to explicit lyrics mm. in uh, in class, uh, speech, um, rapport with other instructors. Like I was just getting. I was having conversations with managers over things that were so benign um and I was like wait a minute like I just didn't want to acknowledge that could this be because I'm black right you never want to be that black person that's like
0: that's always like this because I'm black yeah (laughs) Yeah.
1: so it took me a long time to to recognize that like Like it had to happen so many times in order for me to say, Ashley, this is not happening to literally anyone else. The other two black women that were on this team felt the same way, and they have already quit. Like, what are you doing, right? So you can either stay here and try to fight this beast, or you can move on. And I chose to move on um, for many reasons, but that was that was one of them. But that was the moment. That I knew, I couldn't. I couldn't just pretend to be like everybody else. Mm. I had to. I had to do something else.
0: So, what did moving on look like for you, both personally and professionally?
1: So, I was already teaching at Barry's. I was teaching part time at both, and so moving on just meant going fully into Barry's and sort of having personal training and that. And then I ended up going full time at Barry's literally months after um and you know personally i just like i think it i it cuz it took me a while to start saying things still wasn't comfortable so it was about um more self study and i think like i i just want to take a moment to like talk about that because right now on the internet we're seeing you know a lot of a lot of white People um, sort of going off, right, about race. And it's like, you just got here. Right. Do you know what I mean? Like, you can't be on the internet yelling at other white people because you've just arrived yourself. And some of you haven't even really arrived, right? So, right. <laughs> so, me speaking up now in 2020 and 2021, whatever, is the product of me starting to do my own work in 2016, 2017. Mm. right to like figure out who I was what it meant to be black what my history was who my heroes were what's the truth right so personally it was a lot of journaling a lot of reading a lot of conversations trying to like find black friends (laughs) trying to find other black people in fitness like Um, I would go home a lot back then, back to Jersey and Philly, because I just like needed to see people who look like me that were like, doing well, right, They were middle class and, and upper class and whatever. And so, and I ended up divorcing the person that I was married to. Um, because that was part of the
0: person. A lot work was happening too. and a lot was um, changing. Ashley so says yeah, it was during lots, the season of her of life when she discovered how she could happening. use her voice and every her platform and to advocate, advocate for change. But like the biggest transformation place, she would experience right? wouldn't be like, external, some but rather march, internal.
1: Some people don't, right? Like some people are the people who are making phone calls and writing letters. Some people are not. like. And I think that one of the biggest things that I've learned is like how to have compassion for people who are like open to becoming an ally or an advocate. Mm -hmm. And when I say people, I, I mean white people, um, but don't know how to get there. So like, I have, I feel like I've had to create a lot of space in my heart to say, like, I, I hear you. I understand that this is new for you. Um, no, I don't think you're a bad person. No, I'm not saying you're racist, right? Like I've had to have all of these really gentle moments right, to try to bring people along with me. And it's been incredibly frustrating because a part of me wants to be like, how the fuck can you not see what's going on? Right. Right. It's like, you want to shake them. But I'm like, ultimately, if this is the kind of person that I am, if I value people and empathy and all of these things, like that's maybe that's my activism lane of like, how can I acknowledge where people are and then like help them get somewhere else? And I think maybe that's my biggest, that's my biggest takeaway is like, what kind of
0: activist I personally am. Right. I love what you just shared because there are varying degrees and levels of activism and allyship. And I like to think about it like this. There are Martins and there are Malcolms. Right. And we need both. We need both to do the work. And there's a lot of work to be done. And it's going to take both types of activists coming together to make it happen, because neither side is more or less important or valuable to the eradication of racism and biases than the other. Right. They're both equally important. Right. hundred percent. Did you have conversations? Did you hold space for people one on one to ask questions and to be really open? and absolutely?
1: Um- and it, it is exhausting. It still continues to be exhausting because, you know, people will even people will even cite um, my nonprofit as like a a reason for me to like not be angry. I can hold space without um, without letting blatant racist. Like into my space, right? right? There's a difference between holding space for for learning and having compassion, and they're the completely different. Like people who are just violating human rights are just like in a completely different space. Like they're never going to hear me, absolutely. And I'm not holding space for that, right? And I don't have to. Um, so, like, yeah, it's exhausting because people are <laughs> people are both curious. And ridiculous, and they gaslight, and they don't put in enough work, and we're having these conversations that we're never fucking paid for, right? Like, right? You know, it's just emotional labor, reliving trauma over and over and over again. And so, yeah, it happens. But I will tell you that anyone who's talked about politics not being my brand, like I will not hold space for those people you will not be in my life. You will not be in my husband's life. My child's life says, I don't want you anywhere near my light and my energy. Um, because you're to me, you're just as bad as, as like the blatant racist, right? right? Riding
0: at the Capitol. Like you're no different from those people to me.
1: Now you yeah. mentioned
0: your nonprofit, which is the Courage Campaign. Um, yeah. And you guys officially became a 501C. So congratulations on that. Thank you. Tell us a little bit about that. Give us a little background. Yeah. So um,
1: basically the Courage Campaign uh, was supposed to be a personal development program, right? Like everyone is a coach now. Like every fitness instructor is a coach and like (laughs) has a program. And that's no shade because like I wanted to be that person. (laughs) So so I wanted to create this thing that was going to help people sort of become more courageous in, in like movement and sort of paring down a lot of the noise Mm. of like, people uh, were going to like, you know, you have a doctor for your primary care, you have a therapist, you take medication, then you shop, then you drink, then you like all these things. And I was just thinking, well, what if we sort of like focus the Energy inward, and like, what if people can um, really start to like listen to themselves and um, move through fear and transform through um, this like fear of failure and maybe even fear of success and like I, this whole thing, right? And then I got a chance to work with kids um, in schools, and I was like, no, it has to be about the kid, like this, I had it all wrong, right? And so mm. we started um using movement um usually yoga and like hit, um and we started doing movement with kids in schools and we would do journaling activities and we would have these discussions about life and about politics and about uh courage and about fear and, and things that don't always get to be talked about in schools and it felt so good for us. And then we would get feedback from the teachers of like, Oh my goodness, when the kids are, um, after your session with the kids, they're more calm and they're more kind. And like, you know, all of these, all of these things. And Oh my gosh, this kid that never talks, he talked to you and right. And so we were like, okay, we have to keep doing this, have to do this for kids who look like me because they never get this kind of stuff, like, you know, white schools with like, you know, good taxpayer money and PTOs, like they get all this stuff, they can afford all this stuff, but the black kids never get this, right, and, and so that's when it really, that's when we were like, okay, if we're going to help, um, Students in under-resourced schools, then we have to make this a nonprofit, and then we can get the community involved, and people can donate their money, their time, snacks, clothes, whatever, and we can really uplift um, a number of students. And so we just kept going with that. And then with COVID, you know, we got to still do some work virtually, but we spent more time focusing on raising money to give relief. You know, kids are homeless. Some kids haven't been on a single day of Zoom since school, like, let out mm-hmm. because they either don't have internet or they don't have a computer or they don't have a parent who can help them. Um, one mom literally said, it's between me working and my kid being on Zoom. And, like, some families are... It has to be like that, right? And so now we're focusing on providing aid and also doing anti-racism workshops for teachers. Um, because we know that the percentage of teachers of color in this country, but certainly in Boston are so overwhelmingly small um, that we really felt like if white teachers are teaching black students, they really need to be culturally competent so that they're not causing more harm right. within our community. Um And so that's the long version for everyone listening Joy. That's this 15 minute version of everything.
0: Um, So sorry, but I also want you to understand, right? Like where this is all coming from. Now, Now, speaking of the pandemic, how are you able to stay connected to these kids who, like you just mentioned, don't have easy access to a fitness or wellness program, let alone an online or Zoom platform to ensure that they were not overlooked during this season?
1: Yeah, well, so pre-COVID, it was just like, you know, it was super easy because the internet can be really powerful when it's not a cesspool, right? So when you're posting pictures and, you know, you you just gain a lot of relationships from that. And then so once the pandemic hit, um, we really just leaned on the relationships that we already had. There's some schools that we had already been working with. That's and right. we just said, like, how can we continue to support Um, you know, even though everything is different. And and so it, I can't say that we've like grown in size. We've just grown in our offering because of the pandemic.
0: So when you developed this idea for the Courage campaign, what was, at what point did you decide this is something that I need and want to give my full attention to? Or was it like that from day one? It's, It's
1: both, yeah, at day one and also now. Um, the courage campaign, like, isn't our, our full-time job, right? We don't take money from our charity and I'm not putting a value on that because like, you know, charities run with like paid presidents and and vice presidents and stuff like that. Like, we're just, that's just not, you know, um, where we're at. And so (sighs) there is this, there is this like back and forth of like, I would do this, full-time, all day, every day, but also I have to pay bills. (laughs) So (laughs) since day one, I have wanted this to be my focus and it does have my whole heart. Um, But I'm I'm just like not in a financial place where it can literally be my job every day. But I'm manifesting it right here. Like you're hearing it now (laughs) that one day... Right. This will be this will be the thing that I dedicate all of all of my time and energy
0: to. I know it. So where do you want to see this go? How how do you want to see this develop and grow over time?
1: I would love for the Courage Campaign to be a hybrid of digital and in person. And I would love for it to be national so that any um, any school anywhere can access quality content that is a supplement to physical education and a supplement to social emotional learning. I would love just like a digital program with modules and lessons and movement activities and things that teachers can do Um, because not everyone knows what to do or has the time or whatever. So I would love to say like, here's this product, all you have to do is deliver it. Um, and then I could spend my time like flying around the country, uh, doing workshops with, with kids live in person and, and doing workshops with teachers and, and truly just like continuing what I'm doing now, just on a much bigger scale and capacity.
0: So we're going to manifest that as well, but we're also going to shift gears. So we know how the pandemic affected your work with the courage campaign, but tell us how it affected your work within the fitness industry.
1: You know, I feel like, like everyone else, I did like IG live, right? When the studios closed, we kind of all tried to figure out where we fit online. Um, IG live. I didn't like, because you can't see anyone. You feel like you're by yourself. Um. And then I transitioned to teaching my own Zoom classes. Um, And then over the summer uh, or spring into summer, um, I did my 200-hour yoga teacher training. And then I ended up being hired by that studio to not teach yoga, but to (laughs) to teach hit and strength training because they wanted to expand. Um, into more of like a one-stop shop so they have hit they have strength they have pilates they have bar they have yoga ayurveda like just all kinds of stuff um so i've always been virtual it's just like a regular job now but virtual still so it's it's really a blessing that it's been um it's been pretty uh not easy but simple
0: do you think you'll ever go back to a brick and mortar
1: maybe eventually. Um, I would love to stay hybrid because I know that there are certain clients who I love who would probably never step foot in the studio again. Um, and I, and I want to keep them in my life. But it's really scary, right? Like this, this past year taught us a lot, um, not in terms of like, not only in terms of a virus, but also in terms of how people behaved, the fact that people didn't want to wear masks, the fact that people mm. didn't want to stay home, wash their hands, wear gloves, whatever—that's the part that scares me. Because do people feel a responsibility to keep each other safe? Mm. You know, can I trust that? Especially, you know, I'm gonna have a, I'm gonna have a kid, and you know, like so, then it doesn't become about you know, are Mark and I sick. It's like, what am I bringing home? Right, and you know, all that kind of stuff. So it's good. It's, I don't know how I'm going to feel. It's going to be tricky.
0: I definitely agree. And it's going to be interesting to see how things evolve as we shift into what is quickly becoming our new normal. So what has been your biggest takeaway thus far?
1: Wow. You know what? I think the biggest takeaway for me was like my own privilege. Mm -hmm. Um, and that's hard to say as, as a black woman, because arguably we have like we're we're on the bottom of the totem pole, right? And and through the courage campaign and meeting other people and and families and kids, um, it's allowed me to see. Um, it's allowed me to see privilege through my education, mm. through my upbringing, through my socioeconomic status now, through my connections. The fact that I'm able to form a nonprofit and actually like do something like this um, speaks to privilege. Um, The fact that my skin is lighter, the fact that my hair is straighter, like all of these things um, have really come to the forefront. The fact that I didn't have to go to work every day during a pandemic, right? I'm not a grocery store worker. I don't work at a bank. I could stay home. I can say safe, right? Like I shop at Whole Foods. Like there are so many things that I am um that I have been able to recognize within myself and it doesn't mean I don't struggle, right? And right. It doesn't take away any any of the racial or um sort of gender struggles, but it does mean that like I am very blessed. And that means I have a responsibility to continue to pull people up with me and make sure that they
0: receive blessings too. Right. Mm. So with that newfound awareness, what does that mean for you moving forward?
1: Mm. That, that means that, um, that means that with everything I do, I have to always be thinking about like the rest of my community. Right. Like um, there are so many organizations right now who are hungry for diversity and are just like dying to have black people on their team. And, you know, I'm sure you get this on the Internet, like people want black influencers and all this kind of stuff. And like, I think my biggest responsibility going forward is like, I will not work with you if you are tokenizing me. Hmm. I will not work with you if you are not, right? Like if the compensation is not, you know, up to standard, up to my level of education, up to my level of expertise, like whatever this is, right? Um, So it's about, again, pulling people with me, but like calling people on their shit and saying like, you know, diversity without inclusion is fucking tokenism. And we're not not playing that game. And I think that, I think that before I wouldn't have felt empowered to say that, Mm. um, or to turn things down or to be like, well, if you don't have any other black people there, I'm not doing it. Or if you don't have an Asian person there, I'm not doing it or whatever it is. Um, and so I have to use that power going forward to make space and to hold space.
0: Mm. What advice would you give someone who wants to step into this space but isn't sure if they can compete with those of us who are already in the field? One, you have to be sure.
1: Um, two, you have to know who you are and why you're different from everybody else. Mm. There's a reason why it's so saturated, but people still succeed, right? Because they're they're using their unique gift or voice or whatever it is to speak to a certain clientele. Um, but if you're just if you're just trying to, you know, become Insta-famous, if it's fitness or if it's a nonprofit, right? Because there's a lot of glory that goes into saying like, I started a charity, whatever, whatever. Like if you're just doing it for that, yeah, you're probably going to drown. Mm. You're probably going to drown. Know who you are, know what you want, know who you want to help. It has to be connected to your why. And it ha- there has to be a, a lot of, Humility and empathy, because when you're working with people, it's sh- you just never know what you're what you're getting.
0: Mm. It's a lot. It's a lot. And you mentioned people liking you. What do you think clients and and people who are members at studios and gyms? What do you think they're looking for the most out of their instructors?
1: I, you know, this is like such a good question because the answer has changed for me over the years because I thought and I definitely taught like people just wanted like a good ass kicking and maybe they did and I think on some level they still do but I think clients want an instructor who they feel cares about them and wants to get to know them right like people are really lit up by the fact that I remember their spouse's name or their dog's name or how's your kids or whatever that is like they're more than just a body in a room right they're a whole human being they have a whole story they have a whole career they have a life outside of that hour that they're with you and they I think they just want to be seen in the same way the instructor wants to be seen of like hey I'm not just someone who yells out do 10 burpees, right? Like I'm a whole human being with a whole life outside of this room. And like, the more we can see each other as whole, I think like the better the experience in the room becomes.
0: What do you think the first step is to creating that experience?
1: You have to, you have to get to know people. Um, like literally you start teaching, you have to, you have to be willing to be in the lobby, right? Right. Or wherever you can't just like you're not a fucking superstar, right? Like <laughs> you can see Beyonce and like keep people away from you until it's showtime. Like you have to from day one talk to people and get to know them.
0: And you know, if I, I said is. this in the beginning. No, I said this in the beginning because that was one of the. I remember the workout, right? Like when I took your class, I remember the workout. I, I don't. I remember the playlist being really good, but I don't remember what was on the playlist. But the thing that stood out to me the most was, I think we sat out in the lobby for a good 15, 20 minutes afterwards to the point where we're like, oh crap, we're trying to close the doors. (laughs) Like we got to get out. (laughs) But it was just like, and that's what, like, that's what really connected me to you was it was like, I had been to other classes, but no one, I mean, again, I was a body. I was, I was biking or whatever. I was spotting or whatever, you know, no one took the time. To say hello or speak to me, and being an instructor, like that's one thing that I try my best to. It's a little more challenging now with COVID. I've got to speak through a mask, yeah. and I can't touch or I can't, you know, as an instructor. And and the, the funny thing was, in the Boston market, no one knew me. They didn't know I was an instructor. They didn't know anything about me, right? Yeah. So I'm looking. Yeah. And I'm saying, okay, I'm always looking for cues and ways to be better, and but I'm also looking for things that I don't ever want to do. Right. And I saw a yes. lot of that. I mean, I, I, and I'm not, this is not a knock at Boston. I, I love that city, but um, this is everywhere. I mean, I've, I've traveled all over. This is everywhere. I'm also looking for things that, if that made me feel like that as an instructor and as a leader in this space, like, yep. let me never do that. Right. Yeah. But then there's also things like, to your point, like what you did, like, let me do more of that. And it made me, I went home that day, that night after your class, and I thought, do I do enough of that? And it made me think, you know, and and analyze myself and, and kind of get on myself. Like, do I do enough of that? Could I do more? Is there an opportunity for me right, to do more? Right. Yeah,
1: I'm so, I'm like, I'm so glad that, that that happened and that, like, we had that interaction. And I think I also want to point out for people listening, a lot of the times, like, Black people have to do stuff like that. Do you know what I mean? Like, we have to, really like, be like, Hey, I am not threatening. I'm a nice person. Like Mm. it's, and I knew that I didn't have to do that with you. Right. Right. Like (laughs) that was, but just to like point out a lot of the times, like you have to go above and beyond, um, just so that people who don't look like you feel safe in the room, they feel safe with you. and, And that's also just like another way to to be an activist is just to show up and and show people something that's different from the stereotype that they may see on the news or this or that or whatever. Um, you're just always having to break barriers in big ways and in small ways
0: um, and in ways that a lot of people don't even
1: always notice.
0: Mm. Do you feel like that existed prior to 2020? Yeah, definitely. For me, for me, it did. Yeah,
1: definitely in 2020, definitely in 2020, definitely Absolutely. in 2020. But my hope is that um, my hope is that the more people learn, the more they're going to start to see stuff like that anyway, to just start to recognize their biases without black people having to be like, hey, we're not all criminals, or whatever whatever you think about us we're not all that just like white people aren't all races like hello can we just right from so hoping that things start to shift
0: so let's shift gears a little bit and play a little game oh um, my god <laughs> it's not bad it's not bad i would <laughs> like to say i'm going to put people in the hot seat a little bit but oh my god i feel like some people feel like they're already in the hot seat for the entire interview. <laughs> so um i've got a few questions i'm going to read i'm going to start out reading the sentence and i want you to finish it with you. Oh answer. my gosh. Okay. <laughs> okay. Ah! okay. All right. So my ideal business partnership or collaboration is with who? Oh, already happening. My husband. Hmm. Yep. Okay. That's it. That's it. If I could have dinner with anyone in the universe, it would be, do they have to be alive? No. Uh, my dad. So if you, if you want to talk about your dad for a moment, because I know he's a big, a big part and a big influence for you.
1: Yeah. Um, no, he, he died when I was uh, 22 or 23. I never, whenever, to however old I was in 2009, um, he, he passed away from complications to a motorcycle accident, but he is like, um, he, he's the OG. He's like, you know, um, everything that I you know and this is not a knock against my mom or whatever it's, you know she's she's great um, but everything I know about showing up about being tough about dignity, about athletics about um, you, you know just kind of like all of the intangible things that I think I bring to the kids in the courage campaign comes from, you know, the first 22 or 23 years of my life with my father. Mm. And so he is like the, you know, he's just, it's like such a bittersweet thing, right? Because we learn through tragedy. And so um, I fully believe that if he was here, I wouldn't be here because I, I would be comfortable and I wouldn't be pushing myself in this way. Mm. Um, but at the same time, you know, obviously, we want the people we love physically in our lives for as long as
0: possible. So, yeah. All right. The most memorable moment in my business was when
1: I had like seven kindergartners give me a hug all at the same time, and their little bodies were all hanging <sighs> off of me, and they were so cute. <laughs> I will never forget that moment of like wrapped in love. Oh
0: my goodness. Oh, I love that. I love that. If I could hit the do over button on one thing in my journey, it would be (laughs) getting married the first time.
1: (laughs) Uh, Don't do it, y'all. If you were young, don't get married. Like, don't ever get married before 30. Just don't do it. It's stupid. (laughs) That's my advice
0: for everyone. Okay. I love you. So what you're saying is I'm on the right track. I just hold out a little bit longer. Yes. Yes, yes I am. Trust me. The first
1: I feel like you get married young, it's just a burner marriage. You're going to get divorced anyway. <laughs>
0: All right. The thing I'm looking forward to the most is having a baby. Oh. Do you want to share?
1: Yeah, we're having a boy in July. Oh so it's coming, it's coming, it's coming.
0: Yeah. Oh my goodness. All right, last question. 2020 taught me. I love that. I can't believe I
1: just said that. That was the in, that was the instinct answer. Cuz if I had thought about it, I probably would have said something else, but If there that's what
0: came out, then that is definitely right. Yeah. That's it. That's it. That's it. Amazing. That's it. Well, Ashley, thank you so much for being with us today. For more information about the Courage Campaign, Court, I'm gonna read. It. <laughs> God, I'm like, thank God, this is like recorded. My gosh. you're
1: amazing. That was, it was so good.
0: All right, Ashley, thank you so much for being with us today. For more information about the Courage Campaign, uh, where can they go?
1: um they can go to www.thecouragecampaign.com or on ig at the.courage.campaign
0: awesome thank you for being with us today thank you so much i'm devita parks and you've been listening to beyond the mic podcast you can follow us online and on instagram if you haven't yet go to apple Podcasts and subscribe rate and review this podcast Join me next week for another conversation beyond the mic.